0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig.
1: Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews,
1: analysis, and more, this is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of September 23rd, 2019, and it's the final week of the regular season. A bit bittersweet as Tim Anderson, Aloy Jimenez, and Yoan Mikada are raking at the plate, which has made these last couple of weeks fun to watch. But the White Sox will get an opportunity to play spoiler as they face the Cleveland Indians this week, who are tied with Tampa for the final wild card in the American League. We'll also take a look at the Chicago White Sox new television deal with NBC Sports Chicago relaunching on October 1st. The Athletics Chicago editor-in-chief, John Greenberg, stops by to give us the latest details on the new TV deal, Osney Guillen's quest to becoming a Major League Baseball coach, and his thoughts about the upcoming offseason for the White Sox. At the end, we'll answer your questions in PO Sox. The Chicago White Sox won two out of three in Detroit, and their record is sixty-eight and eighty-seven as they head into the final week of the regular season. They win all seven games remaining. They will be seventy-five and eighty-seven, but most projection models have the White Sox at either 71 to 72 wins this season, which is right where we predicted them on the show before 2019 began. But the way that the White Sox are finishing the season, in particular Tim Anderson, Yohan Makata, and Aloy Jimenez. As me, and I'm sure a lot of our, you, the listeners, are very excited for 2020 to start because they've been terrific in the last month. How does the clubhouse feel? Well, joining us to share is our good friend of the podcast. He's the Chicago White Sox beat reporter for MLB.com. It's Scott Merkin. And hello, Scott. Thanks for coming on the show again.
2: Sure. How are you doing, Josh?
0: I am doing well. It's a bit bittersweet to be entering the final week of of the 2019 season for the Chicago White Sox. A lot of ups and downs. And I have to say the last 30 days has been a lot of fun watching Tim Anderson and Eloy Jimenez and Yohan Makata hit as they're just posting really crazy numbers. It's a great sign. And from the outside, it looks like the White Sox have found maybe their core of their lineup for a competitive team in the upcoming years, hopefully maybe even next year. How does the clubhouse feel they are performing in the last month?
2: I mean, the clubhouse doesn't really feel that different from the rest of the year. It's been a good clubhouse. I think there's, you know, a sense of excitement over what they've done, but I think there's a sense of, you know, Jose Abreu said this a number of times, that they're not surprised that they knew how good these guys were. And I think here's a key thing, and I was talking to this with a couple of people from Sox Media Relations and a few of the other reporters there this weekend, and you know, think about the end of last year. There really was nothing to hang your hat on last year coming out of the season. The only thing no. to look at was, well, Aloy Jimenez didn't come up, but, you know, look forward to him playing in 2020 at some point, and then he signed the contract, and it was at the start of the season. But, I mean, think about it. Moncada's year wasn't great, wasn't terrible, but it was still 217 strikeouts. <clears throat> I think he hit in the 230s. You know, Jose Abreu had a rare uh down September only because he had some you know crazy medical issues otherwise I think his numbers would have been good Tim Anderson hit 240 yeah you know there really was nothing Lucas Gilito had you know by his own you know admission a a poor season aside from Ronaldo Lopez's last seven starts you know I get it was year two of the rebuild but you still left there thinking "Eh, you know what's what's going on here this year there's six or seven things to be excited about you know Tim Anderson I was just looking he's you know the major league leader in hitting right now and he you know he's a week away from winning the batting title. I would just sit in the rest of the week and see if anyone else can catch him at this point, actually. But I don't think, <laughs> I don't think Ricky's going to do that. Uh, you know, you on Moncada has had head. I mean, I've seen the term superstar thrown around and the best player in Chicago. Okay. Maybe you know, let's slow it a little bit and work on the fact that he's had a great year and he's an amazing talent. And let's see what he can do to follow up in 2020. And before we anoint him, you know, Mike Trout's, you know, uh, co-conspirator there in MLB, Abreu has been outstanding. Leads the major leagues in RBIs. Lucas Giolito is going to get Cy, Cy Young support. They have a very good bullpen. You know they haven't lost a game this year when leading after eight innings. So and then you know you have Luis Robert and uh, Nick Badrigal coming and Michael Kopech coming back healthy. I mean, geez, there's a lot of stuff to really be excited about coming out of 2019, going into 2020. And really, you know, this season came down to the four and sixteen stretch out of the all-star break when they didn't have Tim Anderson. Uh, I believe Aloy was hurt. You know, I know he was hurt in that Kansas City series, I think in the first or second game. So, you know, it's tough for any team, as you saw on the north side. It's tough for any team to lose your top three or, you know, two or three guys and survive, especially a team like the Sox that does not have that needed depth yet. So to make a long answer short at this point, I think everyone is, you know, quietly excited, but they expected this group to be good, and you know, they're gonna—they should be even better next year.
0: For Tim Anderson, is him right now chasing this batting title? Has he said this is helping him remain focused at the plate? Because it seems like almost every single day, Scott, uh, the sun rises in the east, it sets in the west, and Tim Anderson has another multi-hit game at the plate.
2: And Wisconsin pummels Michigan. That's not every—that's not every <laughs> single day. Just just one—just one, just one day he did that. Yeah, you know, I I think it's not even so much the focus. I think he's just a better hitter. And I, I I've tweeted about this and written about this that really Moncada, Anderson, and Giolito are kind of like you know life lessons for people. I mean, they here are guys who on their job last year did not have the years they wanted. Although Anderson improved a great deal defensively, obviously last year, and they took it upon themselves in the off season to go out and fix it. You know, Giolito. We all know about the work he did, you know, in terms of, you know, he he changed his mechanics, but he also just focus-wise and mentality-wise has been great. Moncada, you know, took it upon himself at the end of last year to talk to Ricky Renteria and Todd Stevens, the hitting coach, and said, you know, I'm going to come to Arizona and we're going to break this stuff down. And, you know, look, look what he's done. And, and also to his credit, all last year when we talked to him about his struggles, he said, you know what, it's a process. I'm going to be better. I know I'm going to get there. And then the same for Anderson, who worked a lot on his, you know, his timing – and I, I think it's just Tim has really used the whole field. And, you know, he really hasn't pulled a ton lately. And I think he's just hitting what's pitched to him. And he's he's been phenomenal. And this is... Again, the byproduct, you know, all hard work and execution should work that well for everyone in life, let alone what these three guys have done this year.
0: Well, a few stories that you reported on this week, uh, I want to touch on the first one, and that's Lucas Giolito. I thought that was a great story, Scott. And you've been covering this team for a while. Is this the single greatest transformation from season to season you've witnessed from a player?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, God, it would be hard. I'm trying to think of anyone else who just, uh, you know, Adam Dunn had a nice comeback after his miserable first year when, when he had some, you know, when he dealt with it so well, and, and Giolito has some of those same dynamics. Now Dunn was an experienced veteran at that point, but Giolito handled his struggles very well. Last year. I, I mean, I have to say yes on top of my head that I just can't think of anyone else who's turned it around so greatly. And now, you know, guy like Ronaldo Lopez will have a chance to do the same thing next year, but yeah, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. And he's really become kind of the voice and kind of the leader of that clubhouse, you know, I mean, the leader pitching wise, I should say, and the, and really the voice overall, but you know, I think some of the younger guys turned to him kind of like he turned to James Shields and, and, you know, in years past. So it's a very interesting tale. And, and, you know, kudos to Lucas for what he's done. You know, I mean, he's not going to win the Cy Young, obviously that's, you know, going to be divvied up and split between the two amazing Houston pitchers, Verlander and Cole, and then Morton's probably, you know, somewhere in there too. But Lucas certainly, put himself among the pitching elite this year with what he's done. I mean, just it seems like every start he made, even the ones where he wasn't perfectly sharp, which there were a few of those, you know, down the stretch, there was still something positive to take away. And that was rarely the case last year. You know, I mean, last year, one run in the first inning would turn into six runs by the second. And now, you know, aside from a couple of Cubs starts and a couple other starts here and there, you know, one bad inning usually leads to, six innings with still that one bad inning. So a very impressive showing by Giulio this year.
0: It's one thing to have a great year and Giulio could finish the top five in the Scion voting, which is a huge deal. It's another though, as you mentioned, the names, Justin Verlander, and Garrett Cole to continue to repeat this level of performance. Did Giolito give any insight on what he's going to be focusing on the upcoming offseason, Scott, to hopefully continue this wave of success that he enjoyed in 2019?
2: Well, I'm not sure I put this in either of the two stories, but I think the biggest thing he stressed was that all this stuff he did this year, this was like just the beginning for him. You know, he was he was still learning in April, he was still learning in spring training, he was still adjusting things, and now he's going into this offseason. It's almost like you know, coming off an injury where like that first year back, you adjust to everything you went through. And then the next year you go, you go into the off season without having to do any rehab, just kind of, you know, prehab and work from there. So now he's going into this off season, knowing this routine, knowing this plan perfectly. And, uh, you know, he believes he's going to even get better from there. I think that's the key thing to keep in mind for all these guys who had breakout years this year is you know, they've been great. There's no, there's no way around it and that no way around it. But I mean, there's no other way to describe it. They've been outstanding, but there is no, you know, huge body of work behind them. So you really can't say, well, I mean, you can say by looking at it and say, well, all Moncada's figured something out and Lucas Giolito's figuring something out and Tim Adams to figure something out, but you got to see them do it a couple of years before you can say, well, now they got it. So I think it's, it's key that, you know, a guy like Giolito knows he's still going to improve. Moncada's is still going to improve. Jimenez is still going to improve. So, yeah, the biggest thing for him in the offseason is just to refine what he's always started and continue to develop and you know go even further than where he's already at.
0: The other story is a bit more somber, and that's Yomer Sanchez's future with the ball club. We've talked about it on this show a couple times. We wouldn't be surprised, Scott, of the White Sox. Do move on from Sanchez because Nick Magical is coming? Where is Sanchez's head at with his current status with the ball club? And do you think he'll he will be back with the White Sox next season?
2: Well, I don't know any of this for a fact, but I think you can, you know, you use common kind of common baseball sense and you know, the fact remains that Yomer, I would say it's not a stretch to say that he could be a final 3 for the Gold Glove at second base in the American League this year. I don't think it's also a stretch to say he's you know, probably one of the top 2 defensive second basemen in baseball during the 2019 season. On the flip side, he's approaching, you know, kind of record lows for slugging percentage. And is probably not gonna be a guy, well definitely won't be a guy who plays every day next year. With that said, you know, he's making somewhere in the mid four millions in terms of the contract this year. He's arbitration eligible again. The Sox are not gonna pay whatever that would turn out to be, six million dollars or whatever to bring him back. As much as Ricky likes him and the clubhouse loves him and everything else, but you know, if there was some sort of deal where it was worked out where he came back for a lesser amount, I think that would still be possible. But I think as it is now. You know, the second baseman of the future is Nick Madrigal, and that future is going to start at some point very soon in the 2020 season. So I could, you know, very much see Sanchez possibly being a guy who comes back for less money. But also may take a look at the open America and see, you know, who who might want him out there.
0: The last story is Rick Renteria. The first part, he said some really interesting things after Sunday's loss. Yeah, that it's time for us to start taking the next phase and step to winning, which I think a lot of White Sox fans want to hear after three rebuilding years and seven straight losing seasons. We saw him on television during Sunday's game having a very lengthy one-on-one conversation with Ronaldo Lopez, who was struggling again in his start. What was that conversation about, and what did Renteria share from his perspective, on what was the message he was trying to convey to Lopez?
2: Well, let me let me set the stage a little bit. Ricky Renteria, first of all, is a gamer. This is a guy who had right rotator cuff surgery, I believe it was September 6th, but it, it was the the friday of that um angels home series because he missed that whole weekend and he's back managing the team good lord i bumped my leg against a futon in the minnesota hotel and i was ready to take the rest of the week off <laughs> so that th- that shows you a little that shows you a little bit of our of our toughness scale there so the thing is though he's wearing this huge sling with like kind of i, I, I it's hard to describe it if you saw it you know exactly what it was it's kind of got like a a mid brace that props his arm up too So, you know, I don't think he's real comfortable. So since he came back, which I believe was that next home series, which might have been Cleveland right after Anaheim, he has not gone out to the mound at all, not to make changes, not to go talk to pitchers. It's either Coop or bench coach Joe McEwing. And for him to go out there today, there was clearly a point being made, clearly a point being made. And here's another thing to know people can say whatever they want about Rick Renteria, his managing style, whatever else goes on. And, you know, no manager, good Lord, Joe Madden has taken, you know, probably overseen the the greatest run in our lifetime in Chicago baseball, going to four straight playoffs and, you know, another winning season this year and may not be managing that team in 2020. So no one ever likes a manager completely or even close to completely, but he wants to win. He wants to win yesterday. He understood what the process was. He understood what the Sox were doing, but don't think because he understands the process that Ricky's sitting there going, okay, you know, three, four, 90 to 100 loss seasons. Cool. We'll get there eventually. He wants to win soon. So when he sees a guy who's got all this talent like Ronaldo Lopez and doesn't believe that he's focused and doesn't believe that the, I don't, I don't want to say efforts there because that's not fair to Ronaldo Lopez, but just that the, the complete performance that he could be turning in is going to be in he's going out there. And I I gotta say, I mean, that was about as tough as I've seen. And, and now granted Ricky does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. that isn't always shared with the media, obviously, but that's as tough publicly as I've seen. And, you know, Lopez is a real good natured kid. There's been stories written this year about the fun he's had with Nova about Nova, you know, wanting him to do interviews in English and that kind of thing. And even when he's had rough outings the last couple of weeks, he kind of ends with a smile and a thumbs up, you know, after Billy Russo is done interpreting for him and, Lopez is not, you know, in that same spirit today. I think he knew he's kind of at a crossroads right now. And, you know, I asked him the first question about it, and he didn't really answer anything. And then I asked him again, and he kind of was a little, not exasperated, but like a little flummoxed and just kind of gave an answer and said it was a bad game. He went on to say it was a bad season. I think this next start he has next week against, I would guess it's in that Detroit doubleheader Friday, is going to be an important one. Now, don't take it that he's got to go out and throw eight shutout innings in order to keep a rotation spot next year, he'll, he'll be in the rotation. But as much as you're giving guys a chance here to show themselves, and that includes everyone from Kopeck and Robert to Dylan Covey and Ryan Cordell and Adam Engel and everyone else, mm-hmm. they have to prove themselves back to the team too, right? So, I mean, just because Ronaldo Lopez has made two full seasons of starts does not mean when 2020 prime or 2021 comes along that he's grandfathered into the starting rotation this is what you got to prove that and Lucas Gelito had the bad year last year and now prove where he belongs this year. Lopez had a great finish last year and a really solid overall season. And then has, you know, struggled mightily this year. So I think that yet he one hits a playoff team in, in, in Cleveland, you know, so they need to see the real Ronaldo Lopez step up. And I think Ricky just, I don't want to say had enough because Lopez works hard. He's a good kid. He's a good pitcher, but just was not happy with it. Just was not happy with what he's seeing. And, For Ricky to come out and say what he did, it was pretty obvious. And for Ricky to even get out of the dugout and go to the mound in his physical condition, it was pretty obvious that he wanted something to change very quickly.
0: Everyone in baseball saw what happened at Wrigley Field over the weekend, Scott. Right. And I feel time is up for Joe Maddon and the Cubs' marriage, as you alluded to. I think that they will split apart and someone else will be managing the, the Chicago Cubs in 2020. There are a lot of people talk radio. I was even asked about this when I was on Sports Feed on CLTV and WGN with Jared Payne and Josh Friedman. Would the White Sox entertain the idea of moving on from Rick Renteria and bringing in someone like Joe Madden? Do you get any sense that the White Sox would want to move away from Rick Renteria as their manager for the 2020 season?
2: I can say this with about as much certainty as I have, without like having. Jerry Reinsdorf, call me up tomorrow and tell me this is certainty. Ricky Renteria will be the White Sox manager in 2020. Ricky Renteria will almost certainly be the manager in 2021. And now this is assuming um, that Ricky Renteria doesn't choose, for some reason, not to be the manager, which I can't see him doing. He's already today was talking about getting to the Arizona Fall League and seeing Mike Rodolfo play. He was talking about maybe sneaking off to the Dominican. Which is probably a bad choice of phrase sneaking off, but visiting the Dominican and seeing some of the prospects out there. Ricky Renty, Ria is the manager of the White Sox in two thousand twenty, and I don't I haven't heard anything otherwise to to change that.
0: And then finally, because it is the last week of the season and when your team isn't going to the postseason, all fans have left is to look ahead to next season. How about his bosses? What do you think Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams will do this upcoming offseason? Do you get the sense that the front office is just as eager as their manager to start turning the corner to go from Rebuilder to try and contend next season?
2: Absolutely. You know, I want to point that out, you know, when this is, I've said it, I'm not defending Rick Hahn. Rick Hahn and I have disagreed on things in the past too. And I, I think Rick and, and Kenny, and Kenny won a World Series, you know, had, both have done good jobs, but when Rick Han said the money will be there to be spent, he did not say, you know, we're spending it tomorrow. We're going to get Dallas Keiko, we're going to get Craig Kimbrel, we're going to get whoever. He said the money will be there to be spent when when it's necessary and they could start this offseason. I think one of the things they're definitely going to benefit from is I don't believe there's going to be a big free agent pursuit. In in terms of like, you know, I don't want to obviously diminish anyone who's out there cuz they're all good players, but in terms of Machado Harper I don't believe they'll be in on, you know, that sort of thing, something like, you know, Rendon or Garrett Cole. So I think it's, and I don't think they sat around waiting for them last year, but I think that was the the prime target. And because of the fact of where they were in the rebuild, that was the only ones they were really pursuing in terms of, you know, major free agency. I think it's going to be different this off season. And I think, you know, they already have some targets, you know, they're, they've already used, they're using Nick Hostetler in his new role to go out and see, <clears throat> players and you know, he, I think he told me the other day he's been to 10 or 11 ballparks already to see teams. So I think there's going to be, you know, I, I would guess at least a handful of additions. Now, I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, along the lines of the Irvin Santana, you know, minor league deals. And although there may be a few of those in there, I think the Sox fans are going to be happy in the direction they go. Now, is that going to turn them into a contender in 2020? Maybe I, I really think when I look at the landscape of Chicago baseball that it's not far fetched and I won't be, you know, examined for for uh some sort of head injury by saying that both Chicago teams could be playoff teams in two thousand twenty. I, I think, you know, the Cubs, not that anyone really cares in this podcast on the Cubs, but they had some injuries that can they they'll make some moves to get better next year and they're not that far off. And I think the Sox really could make some sort of move to to get in there next year. I think, you know, a lot of things are going to have to go right. But I think it's a possibility.
0: All right. Well, now you got everyone excited, Scott. So they're really looking forward to this upcoming <laughs> yeah, offseason. And if
2: if, they, if Rick and Kenny don't uh, don't make the moves, I'm sure I'll be called the <laughs> Well, we can call the it one way or the other for you know defending them or not asking the tough questions or all that kind of silliness. But I really do believe that they. You know, I mean, just really quick in closing, you know, I mean, what do they need? Another left-handed bat, whether it's DH or outfield, uh, an outfielder or a right fielder. Probably two starters and two relievers. I mean, am I missing someone in there? I, I, no. I guess you know. I, I know Yasmani Grandal is a name that gets mentioned a lot. So I guess that would be like a hybrid catcher first base DH. But I think that's the main targets for this offseason, and I and I do believe they will fill all those before the offseason's over.
0: Well, you could read Scott's very insightful work, and hopefully that he's going to be very busy this offseason writing about all of these new acquisitions the white Sox hopefully will be making to make themselves better in 2020 and you can read those stories on mlb.com and whitesox.com you can also follow him on twitter posting quotes stories and looking ahead to michigan basketball season i'm sorry (laughs) scott (laughs) i couldn't resist (laughs) Pretty,
2: pretty, well, you know, I'm still hoping they beat Notre Dame and Ohio State and Michigan State, maybe even Illinois, and then we'll go from there.
0: (laughs) But again, you can follow Scott on Twitter. He's at Scott Merkin. And Scott, as always, thanks for coming on the Sox Machine Podcast.
2: Anytime, Josh. Take care.
0: The Chicago Cubs will have the marquee network that launches in 2020, and the Chicago White Sox, starting on October 1st, will be part of the new relaunch for NBC Sports Chicago, which will be the home, of course, of the White Sox, but also the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. But this might not be as smooth of a transition as saying goodbye to the Cubs for NBC Sports Chicago, and it could impact White Sox fans. Join us now on the Sox Machine podcast to discuss this topic is the lead columnist and editor-in-chief of The Athletic Chicago, it's John Greenberg. And hello, John. Thanks for coming on the show.
3: Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: It's been known for quite some time that WGN was going to lose both the Cubs and White Sox uh, as baseball teams like signing multi-year deals with regional sports networks. So before going into the relaunch for NBC Sports Chicago, it... I feel a bit odd that WGN, which I grew up broadcasting games on both sides of town, won't be broadcasting games anymore. Uh, Perhaps it's my nostalgia, but do you share the same feeling that it's going to be odd that WGN's not broadcasting any baseball?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a little odd, but you know, I was talking about this day in the press box at Wrigley. I mean, we're like a little spoiled here with that because most places have gone away from this already. Right. I mean, most places have gone, you know, 100% on regional networks. You know, and, and the Cubs, people are, you know, more nostalgic of the Cubs and GN, But I'm like, guess what? I mean, if the Tribune Company didn't own both WGN and the Cubs, like it probably wouldn't have lasted that long to begin with. You know, still having that relationship, and obviously the White Sox benefited as well because they just had one regional sports network for two baseball teams, which is kind of, I don't. I think anyone else, I I guess in the Bay Area, they they do that. That's the only other place, right? Because New York has them split. Right now, L.A. has them split, obviously, even though you can't see any Dodgers games. But, (laughs) um, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a little weird, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of – how they deal with this stuff, because they're obviously having, you probably want to talk about some some issues.
0: Yeah, because for White Sox fans, we've been seeing the ads multiple times the past week during games that NBC Sports is relaunching on October 1st. So let's start with that, John. What does it mean when NBC Sports is saying they are relaunching NBC Sports Chicago?
3: Well, I mean, basically, it's, just, it's the same network without the Cubs. <laughs> so. Uh, it's ryan's should just called Reinsdorf tv <laughs> you know that dream jerry and uh oh god what's I, i'm like drawing a blank right now um what's this tv guy's name
0: oh i know who you're speaking um, of but uh, yeah I'm, I'm trying like to a name
3: call. um right now but yeah no it, it was their dream you know obviously was it sports
0: vision <laughs> oh no? sports vision yes right eddie einhorn eddie Einhorn,
3: right of course i mean i knew you know he's a, he's a visionary he's a visionary you know and they saw the future too you know, they, they were the guys that saw it too early. Like they, they, they saw where it was going, but no one was ready for what they were willing to do back then. The market certainly wasn't ready. They completely misjudged, misjudged it back then when they tried to do this, but you know, that was their dream is to do this. Now it's, but you know, they're losing the Cubs, which obviously is a big ratings driver. You know, they'll, they'll tell you White Sox games are up 30% this year, but that's 30% from the bottom. You know, it wasn't, wasn't a big market for White Sox games the the previous two years, so you know they're up for sure. But you know it's going to be an interesting thing to see now that people have to basically you know they want you to fight for two different networks. Like I have Direct TV in the Chicago area, and I'm one of the people that don't uh, that wouldn't you know that, that wouldn't get it right now because they haven't come to an agreement. They obviously have an agreement with Comcast because they're Comcast basically. Yeah, they're NBC. So that's not difficult. Mm-hmm. This is difficult to get, I mean, you know, whoever still has DISH Network. I don't I don't know if I've ever met anyone with DISH Network, <laughs> but apparently these people exist.
0: Well, so you brought up both. So for those that are listening, and if you live in the Chicagoland area, right now it seems that if no deal is done between when we're recording this on October 1st, that there is a good chance that those that don't have DISH or DirecTV – Uh, won't have the new relaunch of NBC Sports Chicago. For White Sox games, that's that's not a big hurt because they still have some time to negotiate a deal before next baseball season. However, if you're a Bulls or Blackhawks fan, those regular seasons are going to be starting very soon. Uh, so what's going to be the impact here, John, if NBC Sports Chicago doesn't get a deal done with DISH or DirecTV?
3: Yeah, I mean, Blackhawks, the first game they're airing on that on that channel is in Prague. So, you know, I think the big impact is if you have DirecTV or DISH Network, you know, you're going to just have to read The Athletic because we'll have reporters there. So if you want to find out what happened in that hockey game, you know. Uh, but, yeah, so that's the funny thing is I feel like what's going to happen, let's say this goes on for a while. Mm-hmm. I feel like Bulls fans are just going to be. It's going to become a thing where Bulls fans are just happy that they uh, that they don't have games on. Two thousand, you know, I, I feel like Bulls fans. It's going to be like a Twitter thing where they're just like happy when the team's losing and they can't watch the games.
0: So, with the relaunch of NBC Sports Chicago, do you have any insight on how it could impact White Sox broadcasts moving forward, starting with the 2020 season?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's well, I mean seems like they have a broadcast team pretty much wrapped up, so I don't think you have to worry about that. I would assume they're bringing Ozzy back. Yeah, I don't know if Frank has talked his way out of a job this season with uh, break, that breaking Luis Robert news that we all knew. Like who, mm-hmm. who, I want to know what White Sox fan in the right mind was like, oh, yeah, I think they're going to call him up in September. <laughs> like who – you know what I mean? Like no one thought that, right? Right. Like, everyone could see the writing on the wall, no matter how many times James asked Hahn, <laughs> You know, we knew, we knew what the answer was going to be. Um, but, yeah, so I, I don't think it's going to change. I think there's going to be a lot of White Sox games on. I mean, every game's on their TV. I, I have a that, – that, there's no way that they, they're still going to be fighting by then. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have – do they even – I mean, I, I guess they feel they have the leverage because they have three teams, obviously, You know more than just the Cubs. But how strong are those three, like, fan bases you know what I'm saying? Like, how much do people need Bulls games? I can't imagine, honestly, no offense to the Bulls, I mean, they're a hugely popular team, international team, but, like, the, there's not going to be a great, like, there's not going to be a great outcry if you can't get Bulls games on, I'm sorry, from DirecTV customers. Now, if little old ladies can't get the Cubs games, might be a little bit more of a of a problem of people like, you know, pitchforks and, and whatnot at, uh, at Clark and Addison, and I think White Sox fans would be pretty furious, too, if they can't get it. That's, Baseball on TV is such a bigger deal hmm. than the other sports because it's an everyday thing. You know, it's a part of your life every day for the next right. like, six months. So that'll be pretty fascinating, you know, if they're still fighting by the time baseball season. I just don't see that happening. But I think they'll, they'll get a deal done with DirecTV. I just don't know what the price will be.
0: If this relaunch does not go well for the Blackhawks and Bulls for this upcoming season, Will that hurt the White Sox in any way when they're trying to sell ads for the 2020 season? Or are the White Sox being operated separately, even though Jerry Reinsdorf owns 50% because he owns two teams?
3: Well, yeah, right? I mean, you need that revenue for the Bulls to pay for the White Sox. We all know that. (laughs) to to see if uh pay for garrett cole right is this gonna is this gonna affect their pursuit of garrett cole (laughs) um no i don't think it's gonna really be a a big effect you know when they do these budgets and things like that like let's think about their free agency they already have they know what their budget is like the cubs getting marquee networks not really gonna get i mean like crane kenny said it early to us we printed that like earlier in the season but he's maybe over you know oversharing a little bit but like uh... They already had, they, they can't be sure of the carriage. So they don't, they can't like jump, bump the budget up a million times at their network for this coming season. Now, the next season may be a little different. And as for the White Sox, I mean, you know, I think it's a little, I think they're, they're getting, they're going to charge a little bit less, I assume, I'm pretty sure, than what they're getting now with four teams. But then it's one fewer team to split with. Mm-hmm. So it's more money for everyone. Even like I guess even if we don't know if they're getting fifty percent of the market right now, you know, it still should be pretty good this season. I don't I don't think it should affect the White Sox that much, you know, going forward.
0: Now you covered the we I guess what you called via email when we were going back and forth, the Chicago Cubs Irish wake uh this weekend as the Cubs were swept by the St. Louis Cardinals. Obviously, the Cubs and White Sox are going to be having different directions this upcoming offseason, John. But do you suspect that both teams will garner the most headlines this upcoming offseason, if for very different reasons? Well, I mean,
3: you know, obviously the Cubs are going to have, I mean, they're going to make a manager hire. That's like uh, not a secret. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what else they're going to do. I mean, everyone wants to say they're going to make this big moves, these big splashes, but. I, I'm not sold on that, and I don't know what the big moves they would make would be. They Definitely, they're gonna have some money to spend for sure, because you know I don't think they're gonna resign Cole Hamills, and obviously they won't have as, any, any kind of extension to pick up. And I think they're probably gonna dump some other guys to save money, but I don't, I don't know. If they won't be making any big free agent splashes, I don't think. I mean, I don't even know who they, you know, Castellanos. Castellanos would be interesting because Nick Castellanos, there's a guy who. Should be of interest, I guess, to both teams. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of funny. um, You know, and the White Sox should be making big splash on free agency, but again, who does anyone really think they're going to be serious bidders for Garrett Cole above $200 million? I mean, I don't. I know Rick Hahn should like bust in right now to our call and be like, just because we haven't done it. People said we weren't going to do this. People said, you remember, the same as shtick every time we say that. Uh, People said we'd never rebuild. People said we'd never spend this much on our you know, a foreign player. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, they both should be big players. I mean, this is the White Sox off season to really add, you know, whether it's by, whether it's by trades or whether it's by free agency, they better be active. You know, the Cubs are going to be active in a lot of the same stuff they were trying to be active in before and in infrastructure and front office stuff. And, you know, this time of changing the manager instead of firing the pitching and hitting coaches so, yeah, the, it should be very active off-seasons for both teams. I just – I don't know how much – I think I don't think it's, like, any guarantee that either team gets, like, appreciably, like, better in the off-season. And I'm not saying that the White Sox should be better next year. But, like, I don't know who they're going to get. Now, Castellanos, who I mentioned, it's just funny because when I was doing that Osnagian story in Troy, New York – um you know, staying in Troy, that uh, Tri City Valley Cats eating wings with your boss. Um, you know, in, in, it was one day I was sitting in Osney's office, and I think Osney Jr. was there that day. He was. And that day, you know, I was asking him about, about growing up in South Florida at that time and who was the best player he played with. And he said Castellanos was the best player they grew up with, so much so that like Machado was jealous of him, hmm. you know, because he was so, because a lot of people just thought he was better at the time, especially, like, I think in early high school days type stuff, you know, when they're doing their teams, and obviously Machado eventually kind of superseded him at the end, but, and then I asked Ozzie Jr., who should the Sox get in free agency, and he gave, you know, he said, forget Cole, and he gave me a bunch of smaller names, and one of them was Castellanos. He's like, they should really look into him. I know the outfield defense stuff with him and Eloy on the corners wouldn't be, like, ideal, but he's like, he's the kind of hitter they need, and then a day later is when the first Cubs rumors started literally a day later, and I, I sent Ozzy Junior. a text when he was in Cooperstown, just like "Look at this." <laughs> and I actually tried to talk to about it, but he's he's kind of a weirdo, and he just kind of looked at me like he didn't care. He wasn't like, "Oh, that's cool." He was just like, <laughs> "Okay."
0: Thanks, <man."> well, speaking <laughs> about that piece, for you to go out to Troy and you had chicken wings with Jim, uh, kind of jealous. But following Ozzie for a day and kind of picking his brain and then watching him coach, he's right now at a ball for our listeners with part of the Houston Astros system. I I really enjoyed the piece, John, because there's some very unique insight from Ozzie using his dad's instincts, but then also using what the Houston Astros are even using as far as advanced analytics and metrics, even at, you know, short season a ball. Do you think Osney, who's only 27 years old, it, could follow his father's footsteps? And one day, maybe a decade from now, we could see him coaching part of a big league club.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I could see him being on a big league uh, coaching staff in the next, you know, four or five years even, because he. it's kind of funny because, you know, there's so many guys now, especially it's more like so many ex-major leaguers don't want to coach. They want to manage, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mark DeRosa didn't want to take the bench coaching job with the Cubs. He wants to be the manager of not just the Cubs, but any team, you know? So that was like, these guys don't want to do that work. You know, I don't think David Ross wanted to do that kind of work. Ozzie did actually. People, you know, remember that Ozzie went right into coaching and, and Osney himself told me he would love a job just on a staff. What he said, he's like, I would love to be an infield coordinator. I'd love to be coaching outfielders at the majors, like all these new age jobs that teams are doing. You know, the best teams have these kind of like random sounding jobs, right? Like I did a story that literally no one read about um, this Rays coach named Paul Hoover, who uh, the only reason I did the story is coming to high school with him. And he is the field coordinator for the Rays. And that is a job that was created for Rocco Baldelli. Rocco Baldelli. Rocco Baldelli. That's right. Uh, it was created for Baldelli before he went to the Twins. And then they kept the job. And then they, they promoted Paul who was a catching instructor in the minors to this job. And it's the job Told he, you know, I talked to him about it. And it's like creating the schedule. It's his job is he works with the catchers. You know, he does also, he's like the, the second man down. You know, he's like next to the bench coach, basically that kind of job. They said he'd love to do something like that. Like, he's not just like, Oh, I'm going to manage in the big leagues right away. Cause my dad and I, this and that, like, he seemed pretty committed You know, and I don't know if he'll stay with the Astros. I wouldn't be surprised if he jumps around with different orcs. But, you know, he learned, like you said, a ton. Like he, you know, the opening of my piece, if people haven't read it, you know, I talk about, like, I'm in his, I was there with him for two days, two full days. And Ozzy was there the second day. And I'm in his office before the game, right before the game. And he's explaining, like, what fastball hop is. And he's telling his dad why batting average is a bullshit stat. <laughs> you know, and Ozzy, of course, is like old, you know, he'll be like, Ozzy gives you the lip service. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saber metric's are important. But, you know, I go with my gut and that's fine. Cause that, that's been, that's his way. Why would he, can't expect him to change on the fly, but his son, but Ozzy knows, like, you know what I mean? Like he knows what they're doing in the Astros and why it makes sense. And he's like, fully invested in like their attitude there, like who they think, you know, they have this, this own, like their own stuff that, you know, they think this organization's good. They'll think this organization's crap. So he hears gossip from, you know, it's not just white sock. The white socks are so funny because they have, it's so insular there sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and it, especially back then when they were actually successful, you know, and they were just like, well, this is how we do things here. And everyone else is like, whatever, and now I think he's seen a different side of that, that no, what they did at the White Sox wasn't always right. And like they should have they should have done what they're doing now is evolving. They should have done this ten years ago.
0: Well, on the flip side, his dad. I mean the the first couple of paragraphs is very funny in the sense of how Ozzy approached analytics when he was managing the White Sox and how Joey Cora embraced it, it seemed. <laughs> but into In today's current Major League Baseball landscape, does Ozzie Guillen have a place to be a manager again? Or is his best role is to be on my television doing pregame and postgame for the White Sox?
3: I think there's only a couple teams or a couple people that would still hire him as a manager, and that kind of stinks. But, you know, I mean, it would have to be basically an organization run by an old-school baseball guy that would say, like, oh, we need a little toughness, right? Or we need you know, uh return to this or return to that. And I, I just don't there aren't a ton of those people being hired anymore. There's only a couple teams that would really probably consider it. Now maybe if he went to get a bench coaching job and then people you know what I mean? And then that coach got that manager got fired and he got promoted. That type of thing. I, I don't know if, if there's a place for him. I th- it. I think it kinda of stinks. You know, I think even If his personality was a little different and he was, you know, it didn't end so poorly in Chicago and end so poorly so quickly in in Miami, you know, I think he'd probably still have a tough time getting a job just in in the way what they value these days. But I, you know, I I would like to see him back in uniform. I think he still has something to add and something to contribute, you know, or maybe he gets a job in an organization. You're talking about he'd like to do more stuff with the White Sox you know, and talk to the younger, the younger people, Latin and otherwise, you know, he had some ideas about that, of things he could share. But, I mean, he's fun on the pre and post. I mean, him making fun of Chuck Garfine is always, you know, good for a chuckle, and he and Layla have a good uh, rapport. <laughs> um, he's honest, which is great. I think it's a, it's got to be a little tough for him, don't you think? Like, ca- like analyzing these games, knowing that he's a better manager than Rick Renteria, <laughs> I would assume uh, he is. I mean, like, Rick's fine, but look, Rick's not winning the World Series anytime soon. You know, I think what Ozzy did in 05, yeah, it burned out. I mean, I think by the end he wasn't a great manager anymore. But, you know, I think knowing what he accomplished, I'm sure it's a blow to his ego.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you lastly, as I asked this question to Scott Merkin earlier in the show about if Rick Renteria is going to go anywhere. And with Joe Madden and the marriage of the Cubs going to end, a lot of people in Chicago, especially White Sox fans – wouldn't mind a switch, a, a deja vu again, if uh, using Yogi Berra. Uh, yeah, and have Madden replace Rick Renteria with the White Sox. And I feel, John, this is going to be a popular topic until Joe Madden gets a job somewhere else or when the White Sox say, no, we're not moving on from Rick Renteria. What, how about you? Do you think that this is a realistic possibility, that the White Sox could do what the Cubs did and replace Rick Renteria with Joe Madden?
3: No, I don't think they'll do it. And I think one, they wouldn't, that'd be kind of weird to do again. I think just, even if that doesn't matter what like the optics look like, I think that would be kind of cruel to do that to someone. And they like Rick. I mean, he's been there for longer than he was with the Cubs. He was with the Cubs for a year. They had, you know, they didn't really have any, any uh, relationship with them. He's had a relationship with the white Sox. He makes paella. He's been there for a few years. He listens to them, you know? So I, I think, I think personally they wouldn't do it. I think, also, let's be honest. They're not as ambitious as the Cubs. The Cubs did that because they were ambitious. They saw an opening and they took it and the White Sox just don't, they're just, they're, I just don't think they're that kind of organization. They're like, you know, they're patient. They're, <laughs> was, was Rick Hawn next year, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll <laughs> compete a couple of years after that. Ask me, when we're in Ask me when we're in Glendale. So they like Rick. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff they they get bothered by in the front office when they see in-game moves that don't work. But you know, I, I don't think they're ambitious enough for this coming season for that heartless of a move because that would be heartless, wouldn't
0: it? Yeah, it, it would look it would bad. I thought
3: it'd be funny if they did Socha, like do Socha, like another Angels coach. And so she can come here and tell Gene Mock
0: stories. <laughs> well, the other name is Joe Girardi. Joe Madden got it. Joe Madden got one more Gene Mock
3: story into that. Oh, that's so good. good.
0: <laughs> He's got he, he he'll have plenty to tell after this upcoming week. As a, it doesn't look like the Chicago Cubs are making the postseason uh, unless a miracle happens for them. You can read John's excellent work on The Athletic covering all of Chicago sports. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at John underscore Greenberg. And John, as always, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Sox Machine podcast.
3: Hey, no, thanks for having me.
0: Before we preview the final week of the 2019 season for the Chicago White Sox as they head home for seven games, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big that they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. And so, what if their site's annoying or they don't have the events that you want? The real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? Well, with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way to buying tickets. You can search for sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you could stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. And I use SeatGeek all season for the Chicago White Sox and buy my tickets. And I'm sure I'm going to be using them again as the White Sox. Their last seven games of the season are all at home. A crucial three-game series against the Cleveland Indians and then four games over the three-day weekend against the Detroit Tigers. There's always great deals on SeatGeek, and that's a big reason why I use them. Another big reason is that every purchase is fully guaranteed, so I always shop for tickets with SeatGeek with 100% confidence. And the best part, especially a good time to use SeatGeek if you haven't already is this final week of the season, is that if you download the SeatGeek app today onto your smartphone and you use promo code Machine, you get $10 off your first purchase. Again, that's promo code Machine for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. All right, let's preview the final week of the 2019 season for the Chicago White Sox. And now joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Uh, Great guest this week, having Scott Merkin call from Detroit and John Greenberg join us. And I think Merkin made a good point that this final week doesn't feel like as big of a drag as last year did. Do you have the same feeling, Jim? Do you feel better about the White Sox at the end of this season than last year?
1: By and large, yes. Pitching wise, it's a bit of a drag. Uh, the amount of uh, uh, inconsequential starts for starting pitching. I think you know Reynaldo Lopez, whatever problem. If he's going to solve his problems, it's going to happen next year, not this year. Dylan Cease, you know, more about getting starts than actually succeeding. If he has, you know, if he has a strong finish, okay. But he'll have to do it again next year. So pitching-wise, it is, I think, wearing on me a little, uh, watching uh, the innings kind of turn over. But when it comes to the offense and the important guys, uh, Eloy Jimenez, Juan Makada, Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, assuming he's going to be back, those four are doing their jobs, and they're doing their jobs very well and in a way that's both productive and entertaining. So uh, as long as you tune in at the right times and, and really just kind of, I guess, prioritize inning-to-inning inning results rather than, I guess, the shape of whole games. And you know, if you adjust for strength of schedule with the Tigers versus, uh, you know, the uh, opponents like the Twins and the Indians coming up, then, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot better than it was. And uh, there's, you know, I guess the, the, the bigger concern is, you know, whether they're just falling in the same trap as last time where they have really good players and really bad players. But for the time being, they needed their really good players to be really good. And it looks like they're on that track.
0: Yeah, Tim Anderson, Yohan and Eloy Jimenez will get an opportunity to showcase how well they've been hitting the last month on ESPN Tuesday night. And let's go ahead and preview the last series between the White Sox and the Cleveland Indians. This is a crucial series for Cleveland with their win on Sunday night baseball against the Philadelphia Phillies, which they crushed the Phillies 10 to one. The Cleveland Indians have caught Tampa Bay in the wildcard standings. Both teams are tied as we are recording this podcast entering the final week of the season. So this series is crucial for Cleveland, And that's why ESPN has picked up the game for Tuesday, September 24th. This game will start at 7:10 p.m. Central Time. And I apologize to all baseball fans that will be tuning in because your pitching problem for this game is Mike Clevenger for the Cleveland Indians, who has been terrific since the beginning of July, against Hector Santiago for the White Sox, alluding to what you've been talking about, Jim, on the pitching woes to finish the year. On Wednesday, it is Shane Bieber for the Indians against Ross Detweiler. And then finally, the White Sox have someone interesting on Thursday. It is going to be Aaron Saval against Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease will be making his final start of the season Thursday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time for the White Sox before they play four games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday against the Detroit Tigers to wrap up the series. We've alluded to the White Sox playing spoiler in this final month of the season, Jim, now they get this opportunity because there's going to be a lot of eyes on this series. Can Cleveland take care of their business? Can they handle the Chicago White Sox? Mm -hmm. Or can the White Sox, who are leading the season series nine games to seven, can continue to disrupt the Indians? How do you feel about the White Sox' chances in their final home series against Cleveland this week?
1: I don't feel great about it, mainly for the pitching matchups you mentioned. Uh, Like Clevenger, they look like they might have had a beat on him early and then he pitched seven innings of two-hit ball. And he's been on a roll pretty much uh, ever since he came into the game on the roll. He's left on the roll. He's been amazing looking at his game log right now. uh, In mid-August, his ERA was 3.34. Now it's 2.54. That's just the kind of roll he's been on. And so when you face him against Hector Santiago, who will be hard-pressed to go four innings, he seems like somebody who can, like, Get three and two-thirds innings of one-run ball but throw 80 pitches at the same time and put the uh, pitching staff under stress. It just seems like they're going to be battling from a disadvantage at the start and it's going to be hard for them to catch up with the steady drumbeat of... Good Cleveland Indians pitching, so that's why I'm not feeling great about this. I just want them to win one out of three, so they take the season series. I think that would, yeah, that that would mean a little bit, um, yeah, not in the big picture of wins and you know the the overall win loss record, but when it comes to just knowing that they can beat the Indians even at a talent disadvantage, because the Indians have uh, drubbed them uh, the last few years. Mm-hmm. Just uh, it hasn't even been close. So to come away with a season series win when you know, it shouldn't have been close this year. I think it's something that you can take into the following season even if it, you know, might be a product of luck or weird sequencing or what have you, just they've proven they can do it and it's not a house of horrors necessarily and uh you know as the team gets deeper and they don't have these massive starting pitching disadvantages um you know maybe that's there's something that can be taken away from that.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun to have another team's fans on the White Sox bandwagon Tuesday through Thursday as there will be Tampa Bay Rays fans rooting for the White Sox uh, for this week. And I also look at this as an opportunity, because as I mentioned, I mean, Clevenger's been awesome since the beginning of July. Shane Bieber is right there with Lucas Gilito as far as going to garner some Cy Young votes uh, this uh, offseason. What what Anderson and McConaughey and Jimenez have been doing is a lot of fun to watch, especially this weekend against the tigers but it is obviously much different right when you're going when you're doing this well against the tigers and then try to do it against some of the game's best starting pitchers so that's what i'm looking forward to jim can mikata anderson jimenez continue to hit well against clevenger and bieber because last time that they were in cleveland i thought they did very well offensively especially jimenez tagging mike clevenger for a home run
1: Yeah, they had some moments against Clevenger, and they drew some walks. They drew four walks against him, which is that they hardly draw four walks against anybody over the course of nine innings. So to get four against Clevenger, they had some good at-bats. They just couldn't uh, quite break through when they had opportunities, and then uh, Clevenger just kind of turned the screws on them. But it would be nice to have at least a couple of those guys have moments to get them talking because... uh, the White Sox have generally... Fair, they, they haven't really been... They've been non-existent on ESPN by and large, especially the the marquee games. Uh, they, they've picked up a, a weekday games here and there and have uh, to sometimes disastrous results. So, uh, you yeah, know, it would be nice for them to show well, especially the players who you know we've been enjoying watching. Um, it reminds me, you know, the, the, the one... I guess the one marquee moment the White Sox had wasn't really a traditional one, but when they were playing the angels and they had bill walton on the broadcast that was the kind of game where it wasn't you know national audience i don't know if you get the you know the ratings if you if you can deduce the ratings when they're mlb tv based but that was one moment where the entire baseball interested world was watching the white Sox for no good reason Uh, and the white Sox showed up well they played an exciting game they had moments uh james mccann had the big homer that sent uh, made walton go nuts and there was just a lot going on and it was fun to have the White Sox in the position. They've been so in that position so seldomly over the past ten years that uh, it, it's you forget that they can be there. You know, <laughs> they're allowed to be that they're you know theoretically eligible for these games. So it would be nice for them to have these kind of moments to where they are booked again because uh, uh, it's been a long time. Now, looking at all of Major League Baseball
0: as far as the postseason races as we enter in the final week, again, Oakland currently has the fourth seed. They are two games ahead of Tampa and Cleveland uh, with a record of 94 and 62, while Tampa and Cleveland right now are tied at 92 and 64. The Boston Red Sox have been eliminated. So in the American League, it's just a three-team race, to aside two playoff spots. And if the Rays and Indians are tied at the end of the year, we will have game 163 to decide who will play in another single elimination game uh, for the right to make it into the American League Divisional Series and face either the Houston Astros or the New York Yankees. But moving over to the National League, and this is what a lot of people are going to be talking about on Monday on Chicago Sports Radio. It's something that's going to be discussed quite a bit as far as people having either you want to call them hot takes or ideas. Jim, I asked Scott Merkin this question. I asked John Greenberg this question. I do not think the Chicago Cubs are going to be keeping Joe Madden, especially what happened after this weekend, getting swept by the St. Louis Cardinals at home. And now they are four games back, the Milwaukee Brewers and Washington Nationals for the wild card spot. And they may have to win out the rest of the year to give themselves a chance of breaking through. There are already people clamoring that maybe the White Sox should move on from Rick Renteria and hire Joe Madden. Do you see that as a possibility? Nope. So that's three no's, everyone. If you're counting, Mer- Merkin was no, Greenberg was no, and Jim is no.
1: Yeah, it's just too much, you know, loyalty to Renteria, too uh, too much of a precedent in sticking with the guys that they have. Um, you know, Madden I think would require his own pitching coach, which the White Sox don't want to do. Really seems like you know the Padres fired Andy Green and and. I always kind of follow the Padres, one, because they there are a lot of parallels with the White Sox in terms of overall franchise fortune. They're linked now with Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, so, you know, they have those kind of alternate histories or the White Sox, uh, you know, can look at the Padres and see what uh, they're missing out on or maybe not missing out on based on the way Manny Machado's season is finishing up. But when you look at, uh, you know, their overall trajectory and how much talent they have in their farm system... and. Uh, I, I saw some people immediately connecting the dots where Madden could go to San Diego and just inherit a really awesome opportunity, like he had with the Rays and he had with the Cubs when they were ascended to where the pieces are are all kind of falling in. They just uh, lack maybe a little bit of uh, you know, pitching and a little bit of um, you know health. I think you know, losing Tatis hurts yeah, obviously and uh, they also just have to matriculate some of these prospects all the way up but uh, you know they're well positioned for the next manager taking the next step and Madden has a history both in Tampa and uh, Chicago and taking them to the next step and so I'm kind of fascinated it seems like Ron Fowler the, uh, the Padres chairman that would be the kind of hire he would make he likes mm-hmm. the big splashy moves that gain attention and uh, that would obviously be I think the the splashiest move that a a team could make with regards to a manager. Yeah,
0: I I think Joe Madden is managing in 2020. Obviously, it's not with the Cubs. I agree with you about the Padres, Jim. I also think that if the Philadelphia Phillies move on from Gabe Kapler, that could be another possibility, that Joe Madden joins the Phillies. Hmm. But but it it would be... Joining the Fiddlies would be different. If he's going to continue to follow suit of his managerial jobs, joining Tampa when they were very prospect heavy, joining the Cubs when they were very prospect heavy that it would make sense for him to join the San Diego Padres because that's more in line of his two previous jobs.
1: Yeah, the Phillies would be kind of funny to have the, uh, if you can't beat them, join them, because that's who beat the Rays in 2008, was it? Yes. The, uh, yeah, so that would be uh, kind of a a full circle. But uh, yeah, it would be a different team, different composition, different media markets a uh, little bit. Uh, I mean, the Cubs have their own intense media market, but Philly just with their with the way Gabe Kapler uh, and some of those decision making uh yeah, well, both at the managerial level and the front office level, like the stuff that Ken Rosenthal was saying about how the Phillies didn't want to fight to get into a first round matchup with the Dodgers, like they thought that was just as uh equally valuable as missing the playoffs, which I thought was bizarre uh, and I don't know if that was Rosenthal extrapolating or whether that was him interpreting what he heard, but um Rosenthal usually doesn't say anything that weird, so. There's something weird going on there when it comes to just the the mix going on between I would just say maybe the overall leadership. So uh, that's another reason why I think it might be a little bit of an odd choice for Madden to go to. I mean San Diego seems tailor made. The one thing is that you know Fowler is a bit more um, you know he's a little bit more prone to impulses. So maybe some of Madden's weirder stuff, if it doesn't get off on the right foot, could uh, backfire a little bit. But uh, he's done it twice already. Are you surprised
0: on how the National League wildcard race has played out that we enter the final week, and it seems like it's already made up that it'll be with the Washington Nationals and the Milwaukee Brewers, but right now these two teams are tied, and obviously someone's got to host this one-game playoff, but I I was expecting that this would continue to be a three-team, if not four-team race to the end, and now it feels like it's already done. We're going to see the Nationals face the Brewers in the wild card.
1: yeah it, it I would say on on yeah, I guess the order of teams I'm not surprised just because we both had a feeling that the Cubs were taking on water and the Brewers were in the same position they were last year to just uh, speed by them and, and end up taking their spot. Um, but I think just the swift, I think anytime you lose, you get swept four games. That's surprising. Anytime you get swept four games and all four games are one run losses, that's surprising. Um, yeah, just the, it was, it was meant this, this Cardinals Cubs series was meant to inflict maximum pain, uh, on the Cubs uh, fan base and the front office. So I think a lot of people are feeling great about that, but, um, yeah, it's surprising, you know, just how unlikely, um, how, uh, the the agony of the losses were and just how severe and swift it was. So that's surprising. But the order of teams, Milwaukee um, you know, playing their way into potentially hosting a wildcard game, that's maybe a little bit surprising. But Washington and Milwaukee being there at the end, I think that's what we both felt was going to be the end result. Yeah, the Chicago Cubs, they do have an upcoming series against the Pittsburgh Pirates in which the
0: Pirates are... I don't even know what the Pirates are doing. They've lost nine of their last 10 games. Uh, They're tanking. That's what the Pirates are doing. They're trying to get themselves into a better position for a draft pick in 2020. The Milwaukee Brewers are heading on the road. They're going to Cincinnati. And the Washington Nationals are at home. They'll face the Philadelphia Phillies while the Arizona Diamondbacks go to St. Louis. St. Louis has already clinched a postseason spot, and the New York Mets are at home against the Miami Marlins. So there's even an opportunity where the Mets could leapfrog the Chicago Cubs in the standings, but overall it won't matter because, again, it'll be the Nationals and the Brewers in the wild card, in the one-game wild card, and the winner of that, uh, that game gets to face the Los Angeles Dodgers as the Atlanta Braves and St. Louis Cardinals will play in the other side of the bracket And meanwhile, the American League, it's still a really close race on who will get home field advantage between the Houston Astros, who are currently a half game ahead of the New York Yankees for home field advantage uh, during the postseason. And whoever does not get home field advantage for the American League will be facing the Minnesota Twins in the five-game series in the divisional series. So I, I feel like this is shaping up, though, Jim, to be a pretty exciting postseason uh, with the Dodgers, Braves, Cardinals, Nationals, and Brewers in the National League, and then the Yankees, Astros, Twins, the Athletics, and either Tampa Bay or Cleveland. <laughs> Looking at the wild card now, it's like this is a small market bracket, uh, and the winner of the small market bracket gets to face one of the uh, the juggernauts in all of Major League Baseball.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of good teams, or at least I would say the, the three good teams, capital G good, I mean, Houston, Yankees, Dodgers. They've provided a lot of postseason entertainment or yeah, you know, some people maybe aren't entertained by long games they are strikeout and based and homer based. But when it comes to just the amount of destruction they've been able to do on lesser teams in the postseason, setting up these these, you know, battles, uh, going into the uh, you know going deep into October, it seems like they're built for that. So I'm hoping for more of that. And I'm kind of hoping it's weird because like the Dodgers, normally I wouldn't feel sympathy for a team that resource deep. And, um, you know, that's that, you know, just, uh, they've really done nothing to engender sympathy, but I wouldn't mind seeing them get a world series title just to prove that they've been really good because, you know, I, I guess growing up and, and having, uh, just the, the, ALCS and NLCS and then, you know, just having such a limited postseason base, like the regular season was always so important. And and I, I kind of, I, you know, being somebody who watches baseball every day, I do appreciate the regular season and and, and like the regular season to be appreciated on its own merit. So when the Dodgers are just this good and this exciting of a regular season team year after year and it doesn't culminate in a World Series, you know, a lot of fans wonder what it's for. And, you know, as a White Sox fan who, you uh, is experiencing a ten-year postseason drought and seven losing seasons in a row. It just it. it I would like to have that kind of you know day-to-day down and so you just feel great about your chances no matter what. That's uh you know it's it's a great team built in a really fascinating way and just you know built to solve any problems and it would be nice to see them just shake that a little bit just so that when they're talking about like great teams of this decade. Um, They are recognized as such because I don't know how you build a team better than that for your regular season dominance. It's kind of like the Buffalo Bills
0: in the 90s in the NFL. They go to four straight Super Bowls. But when you talk about great NFL teams in the 90s, it usually starts with San Francisco and Dallas. Yeah. Not a lot of people mention Buffalo. I I throw in Green Bay as well and Denver with San Francisco and Dallas. But it was the Bills who went to four Super Bowls in a row. They just couldn't win one. And the Dodgers... I mean, the Dodgers, what, this would be four World Series in a row if they make it? Or three? Uh, three. Three World Series in a row. That's right. They lost the NLCS to the Cubs, obviously, in, in 2016. But three World Series in a row and not being able to win one of them, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like that would be kind of crushing for Los Angeles and wondering uh, where their head would be at if they don't win the World Series this year. I, I think out of all the teams coming into the postseason, the Dodgers have the most pressure, in my opinion, Jim.
1: Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate just because you know there's only one team standing at the end of the year, and the odds of getting to the World Series in general are very difficult. So it's, I guess it's one of my least, I would say my least favorite conversation in baseball is service time um, suppression, holding prospects down, uh, denying them you know, promotions, and denying fans in the entertainment. That's my least favorite one. My second uh, least favorite conversation might be like this kind where it just. Uh, when you have World Series or bust and, you know, how much luck goes into winning a World Series along with building a great team, just how all that, you know, the first 162 plus whatever, you know, first two rounds just is completely swept away by what happens in a seven game series or less than seven games. And I, I it's just, you know, it, it doesn't really speak to anything that happened, you know, that, that you spend most of your time investing in and, and looking for it. And fortunately for, I guess for White Sox fans, we really don't have that conversation. And when I watch what the Dodgers go through, um, it makes me grateful that the White Sox made their World Series run so painless. I mean, the games were close, but just, you know, maybe having that brief scare with the Angels and, and needing uh, the drop third strike to even up that series. But um, just the way they breezed through it, the games were exciting, but the series weren't. Uh, that's, I think, ideal when it comes to teams trying to snap a long uh yeah, long World Series drought, and, and the way the Dodgers have done it, just and the way the Indians, you know, reaching, you know, game seven, tying it up, and, and game seven losing, and then, you know, just falling short after that. That's, I think, uh, uh, we're really fortunate as White Sox fans that, you know, even though 2005 was a long time ago in terms of just how much it's changed and some how, how many people weren't around to remember it, um, it's still. Uh, uh welcome to me that they made it so easy that uh, they didn't agonize with build buildup and coming up short and wondering if they're ever going to do it they just did it
0: we will have our postseason predictions on next week's socks machine podcast so think about your brackets we'll share ours we'll have you guys get an opportunity to share yours as well and also starting next week, we're going to be having our 2019 season reviews, which means it's report card time. So make sure to visit SoxMachine.com where you'll be able to give your grades to the 2019 Chicago White Sox, the infielders, the outfielders, the starting pitchers, the relievers. And of course, the front office with manager Rick Renteria and the tandem of Rick Khan and Kenny Williams and how they how well they did during the 2019 season. So that's what to look forward to. And we, we will be recapping the White Sox and Indians series on Sox Machine Live, the very final Sox Machine Live this upcoming Thursday as we wind down the rest of the regular season. But before the regular season ends, you guys had a lot of questions for us. So let's tackle them next in P.O. Socks. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your Internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call
1: 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
0: You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox. We submit your questions to us via Twitter. Tweet them to us at Machine. Liking our Facebook page at facebookcom socksmachine and helping support the site and show by becoming a friend at patreoncom Machine. And Jim is here to answer your guys's questions. And our first question, Jim, comes from one of our Patreon supporters, Andrew Seagull, and Andrew's asking: Jim has always said he judges a rookie by how well they play in September. Based on that metric, is Aloy finishing about as well as you could have imagined? And has he been playing his way into rookie of the
1: year consideration? Yeah, it's hard to complain about uh, or, or want more from Eloy in September right now. He's batting 365, 407 on base percentage, 753 slugging percentage, uh, 23 RBIs in 20 games. I mean, if you really wanted to pick a nit, you would look at the walks and strikeouts. You know, 22 strikeouts, and uh, you know he's he's striking about a quarter of the time, and only four walks. He can tighten that up a little bit, but when it comes to the amount of damage he's doing and and the way he can uh, do damage on pitches that most hitters can't, that's I think what we were expecting more from Eloy, just the plate coverage and the ability to put the barrel on on pitches that other hitters can't. And I was really encouraged to see that, that pulled homer. I, I think that's one thing I've been watching is just the amount of uh, home runs he hits the pull field. He really hasn't had a... I don't think he's hit a, had a homer down the left field line at all or like anything that would be over the White Sox bullpen in guaranteed right field. Everything's been left center and right. It's a bizarre um spray chart for him and and one most hitters can't replicate but i think we are seeing just how special he is as a hitter and when you look at the the, the rookie of the year um i guess the finalist or the race there really isn't much of one i mean vlad has had a disappointing season of vlad jr in toronto um about as valuable as Eloy, but um you know the uh, only 16 homers, and and the the on base percentage is better than L.O.A. Slugging's down, you know. He's younger, so you know it's no great insult or or anything like that if he's hitting worse. But just he hasn't really taken the league by storm. Cavan Biggio right now it probably is the best rookie in terms of wins above replacement. Oscar Mercado behind him, but. When you look at the kind of, uh, you know, the way they're building their season, Biggio is good at drawing walks. He's kind of a low-average hitter, hits for some power, draws some walks. Mercado plays center field and a decent one. They're going to be, you know, naturally more valuable, or at least uh, you know, have a head start on the stats that go into wins above replacement. But when you look at voters and the way voters kind of approach it, I don't know if you're going to be able to convince voters that... Um, you know Caven Biggio with more walks and and you know being older is is a better i guess feels better or feels more like a rookie of the year than a top prospect who's 22 years old and hitting 30 homers and really coming on strong at the end of the year. I I do wonder and, and I've I've seen this come up with some voters and um I I do wonder how prevalent it is over the course of uh, the entire electorate but you know talking about uh rookie of the year voting and just voting for the rookie who is going to have the better career, that kind of factors into it a little bit. If, if it's a tiebreaker, they think, like, who's younger? Who's going to be more of an impact player down the line? Who's going to feel like this is—we didn't make a mistake by doing this? And I think Eloy has that his advantage, that if he has that kind of uh, finish where he hits 30-something homers with an average on-base percentage and everything else is looking great and he looks like a great bet for maybe MVP votes or an all-star appearance the following season— That might sway voters just to feel better about giving him that vote because he's not going to make him look bad in 2020, or at least make it look like anybody made a mistake. He might be the safer one. So I think he has that in his favor. And uh, yeah, I guess I would, if you're trying to bet on him, I would say like I would maybe bet on the field against him, but him over any individual competitor. I think it's going to be Jordan Alvarez of the Houston Astros. Think he's played enough games? Yeah, Let's see. And he's had, a, he's
0: had quite the impact for the Houston Astros this year because the Astros went through a lot of injuries and he came up and it was like almost instant power impact. You make a good point, though, for voters not wanting to look dumb and vote for another rookie who is just a flash in the pan and then they fizzle out next year and you never hear from them again over someone that could have staying power. I've never thought of that before. Not saying that Jordan Alvarez is flash in the pan, but that is something to consider if you do feel like Aloy Jimenez is going to have much more staying power than Alvarez.
1: Yeah, no, and, and yeah, Alvarez is up to 82 games, so he has played more than half a season. That was one thing I, I didn't think he had half season's game, but he's he just crossed that. So, you know, maybe I was thinking back in uh I'm looking at the year right now because, I, yeah, it was the 2016 Rookie of the Year voting, and Michael Fulmer ended up winning it over Gary Sanchez just because he had a full season's worth of excellence, where Sanchez just hit 20 homers in 50-something games. Yeah, 53 games. And, you know, when when they were discussing it, there was a bit of a, a discussion whether Sanchez had done enough for a catcher in that small a sample and he didn't end up getting there but i, th- I kinda thought i kind of thought and i saw this conversation come up elsewhere that if you're looking at you know who's going to have the better career and who's going to feel like this year was like the gary sanchez year i thought he, i thought he might have been come closer he fell uh yeah fulmer beat him by 50 points in the voting um i thought it was gonna be close in that he won 26 out of 30 votes um so it seemed like the full season's workload really had a lot to say about that um I just thought Sanchez had a better case just because he was such a sensation. I felt like that was uh Sanchez's rookie season. Like it wasn't Gary it wasn't Michael Fomer's rookie season, it was the rookie season of Gary Sanchez. He was the rookie of the year just in terms of I guess the, the concentration of the impact he made. And and with Alvarez I kinda of thought the same thing. But yeah, now looking at his games played and he's crossed the halfway mark, that might be enough. So good point there. We'll see on how it goes,
0: but at this moment, I think Aloy is in the top three for consideration for American League Rookie of the Year. I just think – I'm not going to say slam dunk, but I think Jordan Alvarez is going to get a lot of first-place votes, and it's not going to be quite close in the American League. And in the National League, I think it's Peter Alonso all the way, especially after with Fernando Tatis Jr. getting hurt and missing so much time this year, that it's Peter Alonso's National League Rookie of the Year, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, 50 homers
0: is pretty It's pretty <laughs> good <high> case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Andrew, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Gukus Liajito, and Gukus is asking, this question was inspired by Pinos. Uh-oh. <laughs> Gukus is asking, is the last 30 days of Adam Engel
1: either rosterable or startable in 2020? Okay, so looking at Adam Angle, his last 30 games, batting 295, 345 on base percentage, 487 slugging. That obviously would play uh, 832 OPS from an above-average center fielder. Yeah, that's that's rosterable. I think, uh, you know, I guess to answer the, the non-obvious aspect of that question and whether he can sustain it, I'm less bullish about that, but I think uh, it's, it's the kind of finish where um, as rosters expand to 26 guys, there's no reason to lose him. Uh, there's no reason not to keep him around. I mean, if they have to, if they monkey around with uh, Luis Robert's service time and call him up, he can start for two weeks or be like the primary center fielder for a couple weeks while he plays and at least he, he makes outs and then you get out of the way for Robert. But I, I wrote about it in previous uh, years, or at least there when the 26th man came about, I went through the, the rosters each year and wondered who would be the 26th man for that year and how would, how would uh, teams have used that In the past and and the year i wrote about it i thought angle would be like a great 26th man where if you're looking for bench speed and you're looking for lockdown defense and uh, you don't want to have to rely on that player to provide much more than his very specific strengths he would be the one guy to uh to make the most of it that year and i still think he's a good case case for that him and zach collins collins having a very specific set of skills um hard to bank on for any one position but if you can throw him into a few and and you have him start behind the plate for a, a day or two a week, and you have him play first base and DH. You can use him there, so I think uh, he's rosterable in that regard. I, I just wonder with Angle, uh, he has a hard time covering the plate for long periods of time. And it, you know, we've talked about before the whack a mole thing that just a one hole uh, he closes one hole, one hole opens up, and he and pitchers figure it out and just has a hard time getting to it. He's he struck out twenty five times against five walks. That's the other thing, I think, with Angle. And we had a conversation about this on Twitter, um, talking about just Yolmer Sanchez and how Yolmer Sanchez is a two-win-above-replacement player. But the way he does it, he needs 160 games to do it. He um, strikes out a lot for a lack of power. He doesn't walk a lot. And his flaws just kind of add to the cumulative flaws of the White Sox. And so that two wins-above-replacement, um, you, you need 160 games to get to it. Can you tell week-to-week, game-to-game, whether he's an average or below-average player? I don't think so. And I think Engel has the similar thing where his flaws are the White Sox flaws when it comes to offensive offensive production and offensive weaknesses. And when you go to you have him in the lineup and have him be one of four or five hitters in the back half of the lineup who don't make pitchers work, it adds up and makes it harder for any one of those players to have their contributions being felt. And so I think that's what would make me pause a little bit in terms of Angle, like making any grand plans around him. But uh, as somebody who can be on a roster and serve a purpose in a very limited role and see if he can earn anything more from there, I think he's worth keeping around. Um, just the White Sox have just had to give him too many plate appearances over the years just by having nobody better. That's really the bigger objection with Angle. But uh, nobody really should be looking uh, at uh uh, or, or nobody should be, I guess, uh, dismissing what angle brings in spite of all his failures, at major league level. And he is strong enough to where he can hit for some power if he gets mistakes. And the key for him is just, um, you know, having a big enough hitting zone to where, uh, he can hit mistakes that most hitters can it's been a weakness for him past he's been doing it this month it's interesting i'm i'm, I'm looking at it and uh keeping in mind for next year as uh we we start shaking out the roster and offseason plans and figuring out just uh what kind of depth the white Sox will have and what kind of depth they should have kukas thank you so much for your question our next question comes from beef
0: loaf of the section 108 guys and Beaufilof is asking lots and lots of talk about Yohan Makata as a future MVP candidate or as the best player in the city. But I'm curious if you were forced to bet over under for 2020 on his current weighted runs create a plus
1: of one forty one, which way are you going? Well, to to add to that, uh the the conversation thing and and, and the amount of fame that Mancada is gathering in local circles. I was at the Hall of Fame on Sunday, and looking around the Hall of Fame gift shop, joan Mancada's—well, uh, it's not a starting lineup, but whatever the starting lineups are now, Yohan Mancada's is there on the shelf. And uh, it's—you yeah. don't often see White Sox players represented in the Hall of Fame gift shop. It's because of the Northeast location; you get a lot of Yankees and Mets and Red Sox and. Dodgers, Cardinals, Cubs, national fan bases or teams that are, you know, at the top of their game right now. And the Sox have been left behind during this postseason droughts. aside from maybe Chris Sale. But seeing Yohan Mankata break that shelf kind of got on my radar a little bit. So there's that, too. But when it comes to the the 141 weighted runs created uh, plus, only 13 players are higher than Mankata this season. So the question is, you know, whether Mankata can break into, you know, what would be, you know, maybe in another year, top 10 and uh, it's cool that we're having this conversation. He's batting 444 in September, batting 444, 489 on base percentage, 691 slugging. He's just been nuts uh, and, and from doing damage from both sides of the plate. Uh, I think if I had to bet on it and looking at the kind of players who are doing better than .141 uh, weighted runs created plus, there tend to be players with 400 on base percentages and, you know, Mankata, he's been aggressive and he's he's been um yeah he's he's made his gains by being aggressive and 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 pouncing on pitchers and, and not waiting to uh, get into favorable counts. He's just been doing his damage early. It's come at the expense of his walk column and so uh yeah the question I think from here is now that he's proven to be a top fifteen hitter uh overall, you yeah, know maybe in some regards a top ten hitter based on the way he's finishing, uh whether pitchers will respect him enough to pitch around him and and you know give him the walks that he you know or the walks will come easier to him and, and that'll uh start picking up or whether this is just going to be the way he does damage because he strikes out enough to where pitchers feel like they can get him out and so it just is a tug of war between pitchers who think they can get him out and mancada maybe you know, when he when he does put the bat on the ball making them pay um you know that might be one reason why it's tough for him to go much higher so I think, you know, if I if I were forced to, I would say that uh, I would bet under on the 141 for next year just because of that struggle and also Mankata's just tendency to get banged up. And we saw what he looked like in August when he wasn't 100% or maybe even 90%. And that might be a battle for him over the course of future seasons. So I think if I had to bet on one or the other, I would say under. I would say that, you know, if he gave me better odds for the over um, and, and, you know, I had to bet a significant amount of money on it, I might feel better, you know, if he gave me some decent odds, not like long shot, but just, you know, a bigger payoff for betting the over uh, for a significant investment. I would consider that a lot more strongly just because I think the potential is there. Uh, and I think, you know, if next year, if he keeps up this September, yeah, you know, I wouldn't think it would be unreasonable for him to go 150 or higher in that regard. Um, I just think that there are enough things going Against him, just with his approach and with his, uh, you know, with the way he throws his body around and the way his body sometimes fights against that, that uh, you just might have uh, a lower ceiling than maybe his physical tools suggest for next season. Do I want to go bold
0: and do I want to take the over? Yeah. I feel he's got more of the tank, Jim. I mean, is it impossible to say that Yoan Mikata could be a 150 could, no. to say that Yordan Machado is fifty percent better than league average.
1: No, I don't. I don't think it is, especially with the way he's made gains uh, swinging the bat from the right hand side. He's not. Um, he's not. A I, I was hoping he would be adequate from the right hand side uh, and not a pushover, and he's doing damage. He's dangerous. Hmm. I mean, MVP candidate. We need to slow down. We
0: often forget that Mike Trout exists. In the American League. And Bregman, too, now is a regular. So. Yeah, Alex Bregman, Mookie Betts, if he bounces back. I mean, it's going to take like an eight, nine war type of season for anyone in the American League to be considered an MVP candidate Of because of the level of talent that's out there. Can Mikada be a five to six war player? I think so. Unfortunately, five to six war player is great for making the all-star team and you might pick up a silver slugger award, but it's not good enough to be part of the MVP conversation just because of how good, I mean, it's just another level that you on would have to hit, but he's already having the best offensive season for any White Sox third baseman In franchise history, Mm -hmm. which is really saying something, especially for all those terrific seasons that Robin Ventura had for the White Sox at the hot corner. So I do think he's got another gear. So beef loaf, I'm going to go bold and I know how much you like people going bold with their bets. I'm going to take the over. I think Yohan Makata will have an over 141 weighted runs created plus in 2020. I'm writing on the post-it note, Jim. It'll be on the laptop. And then next year, we'll see how well my uh, bold prediction is going.
1: No, I, I think it's uh, it's bold, but not unreasonable. Uh, and I gave it a lot of thought. And I looked at it and just, uh, just the... It's not the talent and it's not the... Um, you know, not anything necessarily un- is, is fundamentals when it comes to his approach, just more his body. That's my, my, my biggest reservation. And, and, and all you need is one healthy season to, uh, to pre- you know, just make that complete uh, uh non-factor. Well, beef love, thank you so
0: much for your question. And that will do it for this edition of PO socks. Thank you guys so much for submitting your questions this week as always are terrific questions. And if you have a future question or topic that you would like to ask us, Again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Sox Machine and you can help support the site and show at patreon.com slash Sox Machine as they always get additional content with every single podcast and they also get additional writing content as well. And as we start to grade the Chicago White Sox in 2019, we're going to ask some of our Patreon supporters to join us on the podcast to share their ideas of how the season has gone and who they think did well and who they think uh, should be replaced for next season. So again, if you like our work at SoxMachine.com and you want to help support us, go to Patreon.com socksmachine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. I want to thank our guests again, Scott Merkin of MLB.com and John Greenberg of The Athletic for joining us. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show in a number of ways, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, and AudioBoom.com slash Machine. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
3: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G.